So it's my privilege today just to introduce to you uh, Pastor Don Kane from Mill Creek Foursquare. He's been here a number of times, but if you haven't had the privilege to hear him, today is your day. <laughs> so Pastor Don, welcome and thanks for coming. Okay. Well, my name is Don, and for I see many familiar faces, um, but for those who may not know me, um, I was, Colleen, I was trying to do the math. Was it four, three and a half years ago or four and a half years ago? I want to say it was four and a half. It was in January, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. It was four and a half years ago that Mill Creek entered into a partnership, uh, the investigation of a partnership with South Everett Foursquare. Uh, Josh Ferguson had just stepped aside, and uh, we'd always had a long, uh, long-standing relationship with South Everett Foursquare with Joseph Phelan and Josh and and Ben Ramos. But it was it was like four and a half years ago that we we entered into a, a partnership of wondering if this relationship could work, and over the years it has worked extremely well, and. Um, uh, now with uh, Chris and Katrina coming as your senior pastors, and I, the anniversary is coming up in just a couple of weeks, their first year anniversary, right? Yeah, it is exciting. They, I've, Chris has been uh, a great friend, inspiring partner in ministry, and just a visionary. And uh, uh, I have greatly appreciated his leadership and enthusiasm and his inside perspective. And so you... Your church community is blessed because of him. I am blessed because of him. And um, they are just tremendous people. And so, as you well know. And so, um, I do have a bit of news. Uh, It's being shared this morning over at Mill Creek Foursquare. Some of you know Pastor Ben Dixon. Uh, Ben was approached about a month and a half ago to consider a position at a church down in the Federal Way area. And we've been uh, in this investigation process over the last seven, seven weeks, eight weeks, and seeing if this is of God and if this is the direction for, for Ben and Bridget to, to, to take. And it was confirmed over the last couple of weeks, yes, indeed, this is the direction. And so um, Ben and Bridget are going to go and be the senior pastors at Northwest Foursquare Church in Federal Way. Steve and Mary Shell are the current pastors, and I, I want to say they've been there for close to 30 years. And Steve has um, had some some physical issues over the last three, four months and had open-heart surgery and just knew his time was done. And so he had heard uh, Ben speak on a number of occasions and interacted with Ben on a, on a few other occasions as well in person. Um, checked out his podcast, his school of ministry that Ben had started, and he approached him and said, I think you're the one. And so they began uh, this journey of investigation, and um, yeah, so it's being announced today at Mill Creek. Uh, it was announced last night at uh, Northwest Foursquare, and then in their two morning services as well. And so Ben will be speaking at Mill Creek next Sunday. And for all intents and purposes, that'll be his last official responsibility at Mill Creek. And then I think it's on the 14th we'll have a celebration time for him. 
at, at Mill Creek after each of the services and for people to be able to come and, and um, express appreciation, you know, cheer them on for the next phase. And then I don't think that, I don't think a specific date has been set, but I really believe that it's probably toward the beginning of August that, that he and Bridget will assume their responsibilities at Northwest Church. And it is a, it is a weighty responsibility. It's probably like the top one in the top five most influential churches in our Northwest District. And um, uh, but Ben Ben is definitely up to up to the task. So just pass that bit of information along to to all of you and um, be praying for them. You know, as they make this transition, they have Bridges been at the church for almost 20 years, and Ben has been here for. I think it's 16 years now, and um, in a variety of capacities on full-time for roughly about the last nine years. And so um, big changes, big changes for them, big changes for us as well. So uh, we appreciate your prayers as, you know, we kind of figure out what is next in um, ministry at Mill Creek and and, uh, who that person may be that, that comes in. So, okay? All right. So today I'm going to be speaking on a... A passage, a section of scripture that has just been challenging to me. It was probably seven months ago that I came in contact with a book called The Neighborhood Initiative. And this is a, um, a very simple read on how to be an influence in your local neighborhood. And so, but it's small, easy to read, but it is a tremendously powerful, um, statement of the of the responsibility of believers to be an influence salt and light into the local neighborhood and so this really had challenged me personally because i had we sue and my wife sue and i have lived in the same place in mill creek for 16 years now and we're very friendly with with our neighbors when within eyesight we know everybody by name um but we really haven't spent a lot of time getting to know them other than just a, a real, you know, hey, how you doing type thing. And so I was really challenged to buy this section that we're going to be talking, this passage of scripture that we're going to be talking about this morning to, if you're going to love your neighbor as yourself, how do you go about doing that? And so over the last six months, I am a journeyman like I think, you know, some of us may be. Others, you may have nailed this down and, um, you know, you can, we can learn from you. But for me, it was really challenging that I, that in the process of doing ministry within the church, um, it was easy to become cloistered within the, the walls or the, the community of the church. And and um, so I have been inspired to challenge to move beyond all of you <laughs> and go into my local neighborhood and really try to be uh, an influence there. And so anyway, so this is... I, I do not come as a uh, somebody who's mastered this, but somebody that's in a journey, so we, we will walk through this together. But I do have a couple copies of this book to give away, and I'm trying to think of, you know, we'll do kind of the default thing. Who is, Does anybody have a birthday today? Anybody have a birthday this week? Oh, do we have a birthday? We? Okay, Ted. All right. Hand that back to Ted. Is, is your birthday today or this week? Tuesday. All right. All right. I have I have enough of this grade to know better than ask the age. So <laughs> So how many? Is that right? All right. 
Sing happy birthday. Only if you lead it out. <laughs> okay, who's saying that? All right. Way to go, Ted. Okay, I have one more copy to give out. And that does it. Hand up in the air. All this bypassing question, Mary Joe, that is yours. All right. Now, here's the deal. You got to read it and pass along to somebody else. Okay? So pass it along. It, it won't take you long to read, but it really is a powerful tool. Okay? It's called the... the um, Neighborhood Initiative by Lynn Corey, and I can get you the details of that if you want to get it, but I've been giving them out to everybody that I've been coming in contact with, uh, all of our pastors at Mill Creek and other people that I've had the, in coming in contact with, just handing it out. It is very, very influential, very inspiring. So, this morning, we're going to be talking about a passage of Scripture that, it's, it's interesting. So, what I need to do is let's go ahead and put up the Matthew 22, verse 34 through 40 section. And I'll go through and just kind of read this. I'll step over here so I don't block everybody's view over there. So, hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees and the Pharisees, Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. That is a powerful statement that Jesus is making. <laughs> all the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. All right. So what I need to do is give you a little, give you some context of of why he said this in the in the way that he did, and what the Jews would have understand about this statement. So, oftentimes when we go to Scripture, we come across some phrases or some uh, statements that just don't make sense to us in our context. And so, but with, with the Jews, because of their familiarity with what they call the law, which are the, the first five books of the Old Testament, uh, sometimes it's called the Pentateuch, uh, the Torah. They are so well versed in their scriptures that oftentimes some of the phrases or the statements that Jesus may make, they understand the cultural context because they, they, they're very well, you know, very well aware of that. But for us, some things that are stated is like, well, I'm not really sure what that means or what they would have understood. Okay? So here is, so the, 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 the title of this morning's talk is Love is an Action. Love is an Action. It's a verb. It, it requires um, an understanding, moving from an understanding of belief to belief in action. You know, one of the things that I always tell people when we're learning scripture, doing Bible study, Bible study is never Bible study. You've never completed the deal until you put it into action, until you begin to apply it. Otherwise, it's just head knowledge. 
And so here, what we're going to be talking about, love is an action. What we know requires a response from us, and we need to respond to that. And for each of us, when we talk about, you know, loving our neighbor, each of us has a different community of people or people that we're we're interacting with, whether it's your literally your local neighborhood, could be your workplace, it could be where you work out, could be where you, um, I mean, any variety of things where you're gathered together with the people on a regular basis. Those those are your people that you have influence with, and so love is an action. It requires a response to it. So, a little historical context. Let me see if I can navigate this with the microphone. All right. So at the beginning of the statement, beginning in verse um, 34, hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees. So the, the, the context of this passage is there are religious groups, Sadducees, Pharisees, um, that have come and they're, they're opposing Jesus. They don't like the message of what he has to say. You know, They don't care for each other as a group, but the common denominator is they really don't like Jesus. <laughs> so they're trying to trap him into making statements or um, uh, uh, trying to trap him into, a mis- in their mind, a misunderstanding of the, of the Torah, some way to try and discredit him to the people that he's that he's teaching, the people that he's leading. And so they came up with a variety of things to try and ensnare him. That's one of the words that's, that's used in some translations. Trying to ensnare him into making a statement that so that they could discredit him. And it's often the case when Jesus is confronted by people that are have an agenda, he flips it on them. So earlier in the in the chapter, there's a scenario, you know, coming to him, um, Jesus, who do we pay taxes to? You know, is it right for us? To, should we pay taxes to, to Caesar? Should we pay taxes to Rome? And Jesus comes back. It's a sign of loyal, loyalty or affinity you know, or commitment. And uh, Jesus comes back. Well, whose picture's on the coin? Well, Caesar. Well, pay to Caesar what's Caesar's and pay, pay to God what's God. Right, so essentially gave him a smackdown. <laughs> it was a total beatdown. You know, culture they, they 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 literally were taken back by what he had to say because it, there was no simple response to that that they could do, and so it was a it was a it was a smackdown by Jesus, and so this is kind of the kind way of saying, hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, <laughs> had given them a smackdown, the Pharisees got together. Got together, one of them, an expert in the law, tested him with a question. Question, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? All right. Now, the question in itself is not a bad question. You know, you're coming out of all the laws. There are 613 commandments in the law. So, you know, a leader coming and saying, out of those 613, which is the greatest? That's, that in itself is not a bad question, okay? That's, that's legitimate. Not really sure where he was trying to go with that, but that was a legitimate question. Jesus' response is really interesting. And this is where he says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Okay, now, again, going back to the historical context of what Jews would know that we don't know. 
All right. So Jesus' response to them is a section called the Shema. Okay, the Shema is a passage from Deuteronomy chapter six. And if we if if we can go ahead and put that up there, John. Deuteronomy six four. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is the Lord our God. The Lord is one. All right. One of the things with Hebrew is that, let me put it this way, there are 8,700 words in the Hebrew vocabulary, 8,700. In the English vocabulary today, there are 400,000 words. (laughs) So... What I, what I do to kind of envision this is, um, John and his, 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 uh, two kids are going to be going to Mexico with us here on Tuesday. And we're going to be packing clothes into a suitcase, right? So suitcase is going to be packed with clothes. Now we use the term clothes for what's inside the suitcase. So we just say, yeah, it's, it's a bag of clothes. But within there, we have clothes that we're going to be mixing cement with. It's tradition. We're going to be taking these orphan kids and the staff members to a water park as kind of a, an annual thing, you know, so there's going to be bathing suit and a towel in there. We have clothes that we wear to church service, so they're a little bit nicer. And then we have clothes that we just, you know, that we, we just kind of wear every day. So even though the suitcase says it's clothes, there's a variety of things in there that we would look at and say, oh yeah, that is how it is used. So in Hebrew, it's a similar type thing. There's 8,700 words, and the words are packed with meaning. And they can change depending on the context of how they're being used and the, what the nuances are altered depending on uh, who they're addressing and kind of how the, how, what they're, where they're going with a specific topic. Okay, you tracking with me? So 8,700 words. But the words have a broader understanding, and that understanding can only be understood in the context of how it's being used at that time. So, so Jesus comes and he, he states this, the first section of what they call the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. The Shema was not as much a prayer, but a statement of belief. It was a statement of belief of identification. It was a statement of belief of, of direction and ownership. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, and with all your soul. The Jews throughout history would repeat this twice a day, in the morning and in the night. And it was a repeated statement of belief and identification. This is the God that we're following, and we are following him with all of our being. It was a, it was a statement of commitment, a reminder of a daily reminder, a twice daily reminder. So Jews for thousands of years have repeated this twice a day. Orthodox Jews still repeat this on a daily basis. And so it's called the Shema. Now Shema, is a the, the Jewish word, I want to get lost in a lot of the language, but it's important to understand some of these terminology to get a broader picture, right? So the Shema is actually the, the Jewish word for hear. So the, 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 the first part of this, hear, O Israel. Now, one of the things, 
one of the things we when we think here, we we may think of one you know, one of our five senses, you know, that our ability to hear, to be able to hear words and understand what's being communicated to us. Okay. What I want you to understand that broader context when you hear the word. When you hear the word here, that sounds a little perpetual. When the word here is used, it is almost always synonymous with obey. So it is hear and obey. It wasn't enough just to understand, to hear audibly a statement. It was to hear and obey. My, give you an example here. My daughter, Christy, is 27 right now, but when she was probably 18 years old, um, it was summertime, and it was true summertime, <laughs> like what we have here, but it was true summertime, and it was re- re- pretty warm, and um, our house, a little, little rambler in Maze Pond, you know, it was, we had the door open, and I had set, I had put Christy to bed. It was on a Saturday, I believe, and my father was visiting from Colorado Springs, and so he and I were sitting in the front room. Christy's in bed, and, and, and she comes toddling out in her little t-shirt and her diaper, and it's like, Christy, you're supposed to be sleeping. You know, and she's, Christy's, she's very strong-willed, she's very determined, and has a mind of her own. And so she comes toddling out, and it's like, Christy, you need to go back to bed. And she's looking at me, you know, shaking her head. You know, Christy, you need to go back to bed. She ignores me. And so the door is open, trying to get airflow into the house. And so Christy goes over to the door jam, right? So she's still inside the house. My father and I are kind of on the couches over the backside over here. Straight visual shot is only, it's only, you know, 10 or 12 feet from her to her. Christy, you need to go back to bed or you get in trouble. And you could see the little wheels turning in her mind. She's standing there. She's looking at me. She's looking down. She looks at me. <laughs> Steps over the line. You know? Christy didn't have a hearing problem. Christy had an obedience problem. <laughs> and it, it's ironic. It's kind of on a, a bit of a side note. The, the, the same qualities that she got in trouble for as a child are the things that are carrying her through this season of life. Um, she was diagnosed six weeks, seven weeks ago with breast cancer and uh, took us as a shock. My wife, Sue, had gone through that six months prior. And um, Christy was diagnosed at the beginning of May, uh, went in, to, had something get checked out. And she was diagnosed with breast cancer. And had surgery two weeks ago, uh, coming up on three weeks ago now. And uh, it's be- best case scenario, all things considered for a 27-year-old with breast cancer. It's uh, type 1A, non-HER2. Um, it's, it's, it is the, literally the, the best case scenario. She just has one more test to do to um, check on, yeah, some, another test. So uh, we'll hear about that in two weeks. But... Hopefully, that comes back negative, and she'll be, begin to do radiation in the middle of July, and it'll be four weeks of radiation. And it's the, the same qualities that she showed as a child that she got in trouble for that will sustain her through this, her determination, her strong will, um, her deep convictions. And um, she's an amazing young woman, has a deep, deep faith. And so... 
yeah, we fully believe that, I mean, she will be cancer-free, but um, totally unexpected for a 27-year-old. So, yeah. So she didn't have a hearing problem. She had an obedience problem. Throughout Israel's history, they didn't have a hearing problem. They had an obedience problem. And so in, in the De- De- Deuteronomy passage, when Moses is writing this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. The Lord, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Is making a statement of belief that among all the other gods that exist within that culture, within that time, the God that we serve is the God. It is the, he is the one to serve. So when we're coming to this, sta- this passage that Jesus is talking about, the Jews would already understand, even though this isn't written here, they knew the Shema. They were saying it twice a day. So they didn't need this. They already had that. But Jesus is coming, and now he's talking about the key things. He's answering the, the Pharisees' question. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. So here's the deal. There is, um, I'm going to briefly go over some of the, uh, some of the, some of the word terminology that's using here. I don't want to get lost in that because it get really confusing here. When we talk about love, it is a love by choice. It's not love by necessarily an emotion or a feeling. Um, it's not love by that's whimsical. It's a love of choice. I mean, in, in English, we use love for any variety of things. You know, I love the Mariners, except for this year. <laughs> you know, I do love the I do love the Seahawks. You know, so we can say we we attach love to a, a sports team or an activity that we like to do. You know, but when we say I love my wife, now that that type of love has a different connotation. In Greek, they, there's there's four different types of love that are expressed that you know they they understand. In English, we only have one. So the love that that's being spoken about here is a love of commitment. It's a love of of, of obedience. It's a love of submission. It's a love that is compelling within us that, that we want to proclaim the name of who it is that we love. In this case, it is God. You know, that we want to shout it from the rooftops, that we believe in Him and we're following after Him. So, so, so how is this love played out? Love the Lord your God with all of your heart. In the in Hebrew culture, the heart is the center of emotion. It's the center of conviction. It's the center of identity. It is for them, in their understanding, it was the only moving organ within our body. Because when a person's heart stops, there's death. And so for them, the heart was, they understood that the heart was the, the center of activity within the human body that causes life to happen. And so it was the, the, the they, they drew it back to our desires, our motivations, our convictions, our passions, all are centered around the heart. And oftentimes when you read, particularly you read through the Psalms, he talks about, you know, they had a heart after God. You know, and that's what one of the terms that's used for King David is that he had a heart after God. What it meant was that his affection, his desires and motivations were directed toward God. There was um, um, an obedience and, uh, and submission to him. 
He had a heart after God. So heart is the center of our, our, our motivations and desires. So love played out is having those directed toward God. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul. Soul is, it's one of those terms in here that it, it, it literally it means your physical body. We, when we use the term soul, we think of the kind of this mystical thing that's within us, which is there. You know, when God breathed life into mankind, there is an element that we are created in, we are image bearers of God. There is an element of the, that separates us from all other animals of community, you know, through the idea of people with evolution. The thing that separates us is that we have a soul. But really, in the Jewish understanding, is the, the physical body. You know that we are to love the Lord our God with our physical being. That that all that we are physically, we are to, to love Him. And so it's it's beyond just that 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 kind of mystical thing of what the soul is. It, they really the word nefesh means our physical being that we are to love God. And then the last part is um um with with all of our mind in some in some translations they can use that as they 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 use the term strength and and really what what they're what they're trying to convey is all of our being with all that we have we are to love god with all of our ability with all of our our thoughts with all of our physical strength we are to love god and so the Shema is basically a commitment to God in that all that we are, you know, our physical, our, our heart, our emotions, our intellect, our physical ability, we are to move it in a direction of the expressing of love to God. Okay? So, Jesus responding to Pharisees recites the first part of the Shema. With all of your physical being, love God. They would have no issue with that whatsoever. Here's the interesting thing that he, that, that he kind of flips the table on them. He comes and says, and the second commandment is like it. And really, you know, the, the, the kind of the, the, the terminology that they use, it's, it's, not, it's not just like it, but it's not quite co-equal, but it's, it's at a level of if this, this is a natural outflow, if you love God with all your being, then here is the natural outflow. And again, Jesus recites an Old Testament verse, uh, Levit- Leviticus. John, if you could put that up there. Um, Leviticus 19.18, do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Jesus goes and refers to the law of, you know, here's what you're to do. Love your neighbor as yourself. And there's some, some other things there that we just don't have time to go into. So you love God with everything that you have. And the natural outflow, the natural consequence of that is that we should love our neighbor. You know, that we should, love is an action expressed in movement towards something or someone. And so the question, you know, okay, who's, who's my neighbor? We don't have time for that. Our neighbor is those that God brings into 
contact with us. In the bigger sense, our neighbor is everybody. And the reality is our neighbor is those that we have regular contact with, regular interaction with, the opportunity to engage with. Here is, from a a believer's standpoint, from the values of the kingdom, there are many voices in our culture today that are speaking loudly about categorization of people that have nothing to do with the values of the kingdom. Nothing to do with the values of the kingdom. That we are to embrace those that God brings in contact with us. So I begin to think, and so here's the, here's the part that's challenging. I mean, how do we love our neighbor as ourselves? So let's look at the things that, how do you, how do you love yourself? What are the things that we do that we care for ourselves? Well, we feed ourselves. Simple, simple outflow. What is it that I can do to provide for others that are unable to do that, that are my neighbors? We, uh, we care for our physical body. We wash our body. Now, this gets weird. I mean, I'm not doing that with I mean, neighbors. But, <laughs> but, you know, laundry love. This last week, I was, I was, um, in, I was introduced to a young man, a uh, college student over at Edmonds Community College. We'll call his name John. That's not his name, but, um, We'll call him John. And John is a very sharp young man. Really sharp. Um, but John has some tough issues that he's kind of dealing with and he's, and he's homeless. And he lives, he lives down by the waterfront on the Edmonds, um, bluff area. Just below multi-million dollar homes. There is a bluff area just, um, above the, uh, the railroad tracks there. And he lives there in a tent. And, um, the bluff that he's at, he shares with um, a coyote den. <laughs> so I said, okay, tell me about this. He said, well, the first night I was there, I didn't know they were there. I was sleeping, and I was woken up because I felt like something was, I felt like there was a presence. And I opened my eyes, and I saw three different coyotes within 10 feet of me, <laughs> different areas around me, and I got up and ran away, but I didn't have any place else to go, so I went back. And we come to a mutual understanding that it, it, I don't mess with them and they don't mess with me. But they, I guess they burrow underneath um, some cedar trees. And um, yeah, but he lives, he lives, he lives on the bluff, and he's a he's a student over at Edmonds Community College. And just say, okay, God, you know, let's let's. Wash his clothes. Let's get him, um, you know, uh, the ability to be able to go and, and get cleaned up. You know, let's get him food. And I'm not sure where, how that story is going to f- play out. You know, we, the, um, I'll be calling, I met with him on Friday. We did some stuff and then, uh, I'll call him tomorrow. But, you know, giving people, providing people the things that bring dignity to them. You know, how can we do that? Loving our neighbor as ourselves, the things that we do to do self-care for ourselves, looking at a broader kingdom perspective, how we might be able to do that to those around us that may be going through difficult times and to be able to care for them.
For each of us, the context in which we live, it'll play out a little bit different. But the story needs to play out. That's what this whole passage is talking about. Love is an action. Love requires a response. That's what Jesus is saying. If you love God with all of your being, then the next next commandment is like it. Then you, you show that through loving your neighbors, whatever that may be, even at the cost, if there's physical cost of time, resources, money. It's all his anyway. We just get to be stewards, and we get to be able to, to share, steward that as an expression of love. I'm excited about the, the VBS. You know, we have a group of, um, uh, a group of people from Mill Creek that are going to be coming up to be part of the VBS, uh, in a couple of weeks. And I'm, I'm, I'm excited to be there and be a part of that. And it is a, the most tangible way to express the most tangible way to express love toward a parent is to love their children well. If you want to make it, and it's not a manipulative thing. People who've responded to my daughter with ex- expressions of encouragement and hope have shown me tremendous, Sue and I, tremendous love. You want to love an adult, you care for their kids. You care for their kids well. You have the opportunity, we have the opportunity for two to four hundred kids to love them, to share Christ with them, and in the process make a difference with their parents. It will cost us something of our time, of our energy, our money, resources. That's the greatest investment we could ever make. And that's what we're called to do as believers in Jesus. So, in your bulletin, I've got to finish up here. In your, in your bulletin, there are a couple of things. I, I, I use these um, over at Mill Creek, and, and um, uh, I think you'll find them valuable. So what I've been doing in my neighborhood, we live in a development called Red Cedar. And it's, it's like a, a half a mile walk around through the, the development. It's a great, basically a great big loop. There's a prayer card. You, know, uh, you may already know your neighbors, but there are many that you may not know. Begin to pray through your neighborhood, asking God for opportunities to be able to meet other people. And then on the backside, be able to write their names down and then pray, pray sincerely for them in their circumstance and allow God to be God and us to be his followers and see what he may do. And when that dynamic happens, the kingdom is expanded and lives are changed. So take advantage of this. And this, and the, the, the trifle thing is just ideas of things to do to build community. One of the things that I've been challenged is to look at my neighborhood as um, kind of like the, 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 the Catholic parish mentality. These are my people, and I'm going to care for them whether they know it or not yet. And so begin to pray for them. Begin to, to care in a, as, as opportunities open up, to care for those that are around you and, and allow God to be God. And so this is, this is simply a tool of creative ways to be able to do some things. And so Sue and I um, have been challenged to, 
to be different. There have been all sorts of studies done about the mentality of people in the Northwest, particularly Seattle and Everett, about how two things, how unfriendly people are, and then consequently, how unbelievably lonely people are. Um, and the two go together, you know. Uh, we were designed to be a community. We were never designed to go solo. And it's when we build community, then things happen. But in building community, we will be looked at as, I want to say an outcast, but with a question eye. <laughs> it's like, well, okay, what do you want? And summertime is our opportunity. You know, we are at the longest, longest nights of the week, right? I mean, of the year right now. Yes. When it comes to December, everybody's shut in their house at 4.30 at night. They don't get out. <laughs> you know, that's just the way it is. So now's our opportunity to make a difference, even if, it, even if it comes with, okay, who are you and why are you doing this? Paul says, I'm a fool for Christ. You know, his question to us is, whose fool are you going to be? Because everybody's going to serve somebody. Whose fool are you going to be? And so let's all be fools for Christ and allow him to do the things that he desires through us and stand back and see what happens. All right. Let me pray for all of us. Father, we come before you right now. God, I pray for myself and I pray for my friends that are here today. Lord, I pray that we would be a community driven, (laughs) compelled through our love for you to live love in action to our neighbors. So all of us, God, have different stories, different backgrounds, different contexts in which we live. Lord, I pray that you would show each of us what it is that we could do to those that are around us to be able to express love to them. And um, God, may your kingdom be expanded. God, we pray that people will come to faith. We pray for the miraculous to happen as we, we pray for people. Um, God, we pray for hearts to touch. That we pray for physical bodies to be changed, transformed, healed. Um, God, we pray that, that people would come to faith. Lord, we pray that. Uh, so, Lord, we, we offer ourselves to you to be used. May your will and purposes be done. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, you guys. You've been listening to a podcast from South Everett Foursquare Church. For more information about us, please visit us online at www.southeverett.org.